Wow, what an honor uh, to be with you, the Gathering Church. I don't know if you know this, but I pray for you. I care for you. I'm asking, Lord, where is the building? Where is the land? Where are we going next? And until then, we'll be content. We'll be faithful. But I, I, I just want to let you know that uh, uh, your pastor, uh, he means a lot to me. Because uh, I didn't know how to fish before I met him. And now... I still don't catch any, but I watched someone else do it. And so I know it can be done, but uh, you and your wife have been gracious hosts to, to my bride and uh, one of my children who is here with us. And, 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 and the feelings are, are mutual. You make me better. You care for me in seasons when I don't want to care for me. Like I, I, you, you're like, you, 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 you deposit into me the goodness of God. And I think you all uh, have experienced that as he leads uh, from a place of humility, uh, uh, from a place of faithfulness, from a place of honor. And I, I just, I believe you're in good hands as a church. You're, you're, you're going to make a difference that you haven't even begun to see yet. It's coming. I'm believing it. All right. So uh, I do hail from the great state of Iowa. I had to inform your pastor as a social studies and geography teacher one time um, that we are not Idaho, nor are we close. We're not even close. We, we were in a pastor's gathering. He's like, TJ, you from uh, Idaho? And he's like, yeah, Marty, you're, he's from Iowa. You guys hang out much? Uh, no, no, we're, uh, we're a good 16, 18 hours away. I, I can drive to you, actually, uh, John Mark, way, way sooner. So, uh, but no, it, 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 it's, it's, it's so great to be out here. And uh, I got to let you know, you live in the most amazing, beautiful place I have ever seen in my life. Best kept secret. I won't tell anybody. But you need to invite me back then, all right? I won't, I won't have more of this tourism. No, 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 no. You have found gold in the middle of these hills. It's unbelievable. Uh, I, I have a photo of my family. This is my wife, Jennifer, of 20 years, along with our son, Tobias Martin. Uh, we got a couple Martins on the stage today. I don't know if you saw that, all right? Uh, my daughter, Lydia, Blythe, and Sophie, uh, we... We have been in ministry um, for, for a number of years. Our church is now 17 years old. And I want to tell you, we have grown by two people a week, which if you do it long enough, it's amazing. It's changing things. It's wild. And so 17 years in, that's, that's, that's where we are. And uh, we love what we do. We love who we do it with. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's a great joy. Now, Today, I understand that we are in week number eight of Binge the Bible, one of the greatest series ever. So if you're a guest or visitor, here's the idea. What would it look like to just unpack a book of the Bible each week, grabbing like some major principles, some key ideas, some possible connecting points to our life through what scripture reveals? And, and the whole idea of binge, like, you know, like you just kind of watch a show and you just keep with it. Uh, I remember the first show, my wife, the, the first show we ever binge watched, The West Wing. It's so good. And so many leadership principles in it, you know, different than uh, The Mandalorian or things like that. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you know, like you just kind of watch the show over and over again. In The West Wing, they, and they started every episode like this previously on The West Wing. And I was thinking about this idea of binge the Bible and with us entering into the summer, like people, people's children are just about to get done with school and all of what's going on there. Maybe you missed a week and so you need a little bit of previously on binge the Bible. And, and I thought I would bring it to you. I thought I'd bring it to you. All right. So, so the book starts with, uh, the Bible starts with Genesis, the book of beginnings. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and, and all of a sudden, two, two chapters later, all of a sudden it's all falling apart. 
sort of, you got the fall, the sin, the apple, could have been a peach, I don't know, it says fruit, and, uh, and, and now God's like, oh, this isn't what we had, uh, this isn't, this is, we, we, need, we need to come up with a plan. So he creates a covenant with his people, how he's going to redeem them. Fast forward, though, a few chapters, and the people keep spiraling lower, 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 to which God says, we need to start this over, cleanse the place. We're going to do a flood. The flood comes. And, and, and isn't it interesting, Noah, he, he, he like, you know, just the animal whisperer, like the original do a little, like the, he, all the animals just come to him. And so people are like, I want to decorate my nursery like this. This would just be amazing. To which the rest of the story, what happens to all the animals? And the people, like they all perish, like not a good nursery setting, right? Like if we're going to do it right. But the flood comes and God then, for no reason on his own, chooses this guy. Like the guy didn't earn it. And there's like this big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And throughout the rest of the Bible, you will hear this refrain, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is still our God. And God is working these different stories through these people. And eventually, Jacob gets into this WWE match with God. And, and, and they wrestle it out. And God says, your name will no longer be Jacob. You will be Israel. Now, Israel has lots of children. And one of them is Joseph. And at the end of Genesis, Joseph finds himself in Egypt and says, hey, crew, family, brothers, come. And story ends with everyone in Egypt. Now, time passes, and the next book of the Bible is Exodus, and Exodus starts with the people in Egypt, but not as free people, but as slaves. And they're crying out to God for help, and God sends a deliverer. His name is Moses, and he says, Moses, go set my people free. So Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, Pharaoh, let the people go, and Pharaoh says, no. Ten plagues later, Pharaoh changes his mind, doesn't he? He's just like, you know what, actually, I think this is a good idea. You should leave. You should get out of here. This is hurting me. And, and so... So the people leave, they cross through this water, there's this cloud, this fire, and it all are symbols of, of a fresh beginning, of God's presence with them. They leave Egypt and they end up at this mountain called Mount Sinai. Now, at Mount Sinai, God says, tomorrow, we're going to have a big day. Prepare yourself. And it's often missed, and I, I don't think many people see it. This is when the giving of the Ten Commandments happens, and the Ten Commandments are like wedding vows. This is what's going on. God says, I want to be your God. You be my people. I want to be your one and only, your true love. So don't have any other gods. Don't, don't misuse my name. Like, don't fall in love with my stuff more than me. We should spend time together. It's called the Sabbath. We should hang out. And how many of you know when you get married, you don't just marry the person, they come with a family? And God's like, I got other family, I got other children got other kids. So don't steal, don't murder, you know, don't, don't misuse your body with them. Like, don't covet their stuff. Like, like treat the family well. It's this wedding language because God wants to be with his people. Now, the other thing that happens and on this mountain is God says, I want to be like in the middle of you. And so he gives them instructions for something called the tabernacle. And it's this basically tent dwelling that God says, now I can be in your presence because he's a holy God trying to be with unholy people. And so Exodus ends with the presence of God showing up in the middle of his people so they could bear witness to him in the world. Now, the next book of the Bible is the book of Leviticus. Many people don't like the book of Leviticus. I love it. It's so fascinating. Like, why is that in there? And I deep dive into this. And Le Leviticus is the book of law. Now, now, 
Now, there's four major categories of the laws. I don't know if you, if you cover this, but you've got the law of the sacrifices, you've got the law of the priesthood, you've got the law of purity, and you've got the law of holiness. And all of them point to Jesus, who is the true sacrifice, the true priest, and the one who is pure and holy. It's all about Jesus. And then you get the book, next book, the book of Numbers. Any, any Numbers people in here? You read that, and you're just like, all I did is count people. All I did. That's all they did. They, they counted people, and then they didn't actually make it into the promised land. They had fear and doubt and scared, and, and, and so they, they, they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and then they get counted again. That's the book of Numbers, all right? Not one of my favorites, maybe, all right? Deuteronomy is the next book. Are you still tracking with me? Yes, all right, good. Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, and it's three speeches by Moses, one about their history, one about the laws, and then what about blessings and curses, which matters for what we're going to cover today, which is a love story. Oh my, Jane Austen, let's go. Here we go. Uh, it's all in there. All right. And then Moses dies. They're like, oh, and he's gone. All right. Next book of the Bible is Joshua. Joshua leads the people into the promised land, conquers some of it, most of it, kind of then divvies up the land. You get this, you get this, you get this, you get this. All right. And then he's out. And then you get to last week where you heard about the sin. Aren't you glad you came to church? Just keeps showing up, showing up, showing up. The book of Judges is this, the people rebel against God. God sends an oppressor. The people are like, we need help. And so God sends a judge. Okay. Now here's the thing. Judges has another thing going on that's actually a setup for next week. And this week has got the Easter egg. The question in Judges is, we need a king. Now who should the king where should he come from? And in the beginning of the book of Judges, you've got this debate kind of like, who's, who's going to lead the charge? And the Benjaminites, they kind of wanted to lead it. And God says, no, I think we're going to have Judah. Then you get the judges, right? Like Ehud and, you know, uh, Deborah and Samson. And then the last three chapters, it picks up this first thing again. And what goes on is the Benjaminite clan, this tribe of people, these, this, this group of people, they did something very deplorable. And God said, Judah, you go and you take care of it. So two times we have Benjamin kind of pushed to the side and two times Judah raises up. Now, the question on the table is, who's going to be the king? Where's the king going to come from? And 1 Samuel, which is next week, is going to raise the debate. There's a king named Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, and there's a king named David who comes from the tribe of Judah. Judge is like, where's the king going to come from? And again, Ruth, this romance story, which is unique all to its own, actually teases out who the king is. All right, so now, one last thing, and then we're going to jump into today's book. And today's book is really just this unique story, and I want, I want to journey through it with you. But I find it interesting that in the Hebrew Bible, the order of their books of the Bible are different than our book of the Bible. So they have Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel. We have Ruth for Samuel. Now they have Ruth, they just don't have her there. Where they have her is after Proverbs. How does Proverbs end? Proverbs 31 is about the godly woman. And then they put Ruth. The next book they have is the Song of Solomon. Love between a man and a woman. Ruth and Boaz. She fits right there. Why did we move it? I don't know. I can't find anyone who can explain it. However, 
Here's my best understanding. Judges 21, verse 25, ends like this. It, it, it reads, Now, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It teases out this first principle, there's no king. And then the second thought is, so everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And up to this point, God is like, let me be your God. And everyone's doing their own thing. Judges, why is Ruth where it is? Probably because of this next verse. In the days of Judges, and that would, you know, kind of help us understand this right here. In the days when the Judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Time out. Moab? If you were reading this, you'd be like, wait, wait, they went where? Moab is this distant cousin that they did not get along with. I'm not, I'm not putting that on you, but you might have one. All right? Distant cousin, and they show up and you're like, oh, man. All right? So, so Moab one time was asked by Israel, can we kind of walk through your land? And they're like, mm, no. And they're like, please. And they're like, no. And then Moab's like, this is, this is not good. They're going to walk through here anyways. And so what they did was they hired a professional cursor. <laughs> Some of you who are looking for a job, don't start here, all right? They hired someone to professionally curse the people of Israel. That's wild, right? So then he gets ready to do his first curse, and he says, people of Israel, be blessed. And the guys are like, what? What's going on? And this goes on, and he's like, well, I was talking to a donkey earlier. Weird story, going right into numbers. It's just a throwback, though. Moab is in opposition. It is not the place that you want to be. And so this guy went there, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. So in the Bible, here's how it works. You have 12 tribes, 12 designated lands. We'll call them states, 12 states, one of the state's tribes was called Judah. Inside Judah, there was a city called Bethlehem. Inside Bethlehem, there was a family line known as the Ephrathites, all right? And so this, just to kind of help you narrow down what we're talking about. And they went into the country of Moab and they remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These two took Moabite wives the name of the one was Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, totally different person. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. This is an unbelievably painful, sad way to start a book of the Bible. There's this woman who has a man, and he dies, but she has two sons, but they died too. In, in, in the Bible, encouraging, right? But there's more going on. It's so crazy. We, we, we read these places and these names as if they're places and names, and they are, but there's, there's irony to everything being said here. See, the, the word Bethlehem is actually two words. Beth and Lehem means house of bread. Isn't it interesting that the story starts, there was a man from the house of bread and there was a famine. There's no bread in the house of bread. It's kind of interesting. Elimelech, his name means my God is king. So the guy who says my God is king, living in the house of bread, has no bread, and then he dies. In a place called Moab, Moab 
What does Moab mean? Who's your daddy? It's true. It's a true story. So, so, so here is, God is my king, and he leaves to who's your daddy, and he dies. All right. Now, this is even more wild. Naomi, her name means pleasant. None of this sounds pleasant, does it? So you've got God's people, but then the guy whose name is my God is king, he's dead. That doesn't sound pleasant. There's no bread in the house of bread. Then you get Malon and Kilion. They're named, they're, their names mean weak and frail. What are parents thinking? They're like, uh, here is struggle bus, and here is uh, never going to amount to much. And, uh, you know, that, that a rough start for these two guys. And, and, and so what's going on? This is just the foundation of this story that we're going to unpack. Now, Naomi is a widow in a land where she has no position, no place, no property, no potential, and a rumor starts. And the rumor is, God has shown back up in Israel. There's bread in Bethlehem. That's a good rumor. The house of bread has bread again. And so she tells these two daughter-in-laws, hey, Orpah, Ruth, let's go back. We see a no shot here. We're never going to make it. And they start journeying. And you got to think this through. All of a sudden, it dawns on Naomi that although her name is known in this place that they're returning, these two daughter-in-laws, they're not. There's a hierarchy of how you had social status at this time. It would start with like the judge or a, a, a king. And then you would have a, a tribe leader. Then you would have a clan leader. And then you would have a family leader. Then you would have the older man. Then you would have the father, Elimelech, we'll say. Then you had his oldest son, was next highest ranking. Then the rest of the sons. Then you get the wife. Now that's where Naomi is. And then the daughters. And then the male servants. And then the female servants. And then there was a subset female servant. Then you got the resident alien, the person who's now saying, I want to be a part of you. They're way down there. Then you had the male foreigner, and then you would have, way down here, way down here, Orpah and Ruth. And Naomi's like, I'm going back to a place where I can be kind of reestablished, but they will never amount to anything. And so she says, hey, go back to your own people. Go back to your, your own families. It's not going to work. And Orpah goes, sweet, I'm out. Which isn't surprising because her name means turnaround. <laughs> right? Also, deer, fawn, small gazelle. So she's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> and that, 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 that's how I envisioned it when I read the Bible. And Baruch does something different. You know, let me, let's go back to the, like they're having this kind of powwow. And this is what Naomi says. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. This word dealt kindly is a unique word. In, in the Hebrew translation, it's the word chesed. And you got to get the phlegm going a little bit to enunciate it right. Some of you are like, mm, don't, I won't do it again. Chesed is a different kind of love. Sometimes translated steadfast or loyal. So Naomi's like, hey, I'm not going to hold you guys responsible. May the Lord 
be loyal to you. More than a feeling kind of love, this is a love that's going to do the right thing no matter what, even if it's uncomfortable. It's the same kind of love that is talked about when we talk about Jesus, his loyal, steadfast love. And so Naomi says, I want to bless you. And Orpah says, sweet, I'm out. But Ruth, it's interesting, instead of receiving the blessing, she actually becomes the blessing. Instead of taking on said, she chooses to live said loyal love. And this is what Ruth says, and this is maybe what is most known in the book of Ruth. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, that's going to be my God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done with everything that I have ever known. And I'm going to go and be with you, even if it means I'm nothing. For I will be loyal to you steadfast to you because I love you. Now in the season that they were in Moab, my, my eyes see that Naomi had to have had a trust and faith in God that superseded anything Ruth had ever seen. And Ruth said, I need to stay close to this. And as Naomi is blessing, Ruth's like, no, 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 no. I, I, I want to come along. And so they go on this journey. And I had a little bit of personal experience with what this journey could look like because your pastor took me on a hike yesterday. And this hike was four miles. And we went up and down and up and then up and then backwards and then up and down, left, right, through the... That isn't a trail anymore, John Mark. That's not a trail. Oh, we're going in it anyways. Um, I'm soaked. That's fine. It's cool. We're going up again, down, four miles, four miles. I want to let you know, Naomi and Ruth, when they set out, they went from here to Charlotte in similar elevations, just with no, no vegetation. It's desert. I don't think they could book a train ticket. I don't think they have much, because if they had much, they would have stayed where they were. 100 miles. Four did me in, folk. I'm, I'm like, that's... N-. But next Sunday, you should come. We're going to go hiking. And it'll be more fun than what I just described. Because we are a church. And we're going to do it together. All right? You all hike it up. And it'll be amazing. But it is interesting. So they're on this long journey. Now, they didn't have Instagram, text messages, phone numbers. That somehow they caught a rumor that was happening in Bethlehem and they just start walking. And we don't know how many days, but they've been gone over a decade. And when they show up, I just, I, again, I picture like a Jane Austen movie setting where the women, you know, like, you know, they're, they're doing some wash and the kids are running around. The men are counting the sheep. There's a sheep. And there's a sheep. And then all of a sudden these two women come over the hills. And they're like, could it be? No. It is. Oh. <gasps> It's Naomi, Naomi. And they go running to Naomi and they're like, Naomi, we're so great. Naomi, Naomi. And she says, stop, 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 stop. Don't call me Naomi. She says, don't call me Pleasant. It's been a hard. You call me Mara, which means bitter. Striking scene. So she's unloading all of the pain she has gone through this last season. And her pain that she has been wearing and feeling 
transitioned into becoming her identity. And I want to caution you, don't let your negative feelings become your identity. There are times where you will feel alone, and so then you will say, I am lonely. Moving from a feeling to an identity. And that's dangerous territory. I I am bitter. No, you are feeling bitter. As soon as you claim bitter as your identity, it is now the way you see the world. And it's a lens that actually blocks you from the goodness of God that can show up in your life. I'm not saying you won't be lonely. I'm not saying you won't be bitter. But those can be feelings that you can keep in their proper place because you're a child of God. He sets you free. He's the one of hope. He's the one of courage. So don't let your setbacks move you to a place where you now re-identify who you are and lose sight of whose you are. It's a dangerous zone. It's a dangerous zone. And we say, I'm depressed. No, you, you struggle with depression. You, you, you feel that way. But don't let, don't let the emotions that are negative start to bond into your core identity. Because it's a tough thing to untangle. And I believe Naomi, in this place, she was actually wrestling with God in it all. And I believe, I'm not trying to even have you deny the feelings. Own them. Live in them. Recognize them. But bring them to the Lord. And walk faithfully. What usually happens is we take our feelings and we're frustrated because of what circumstances have been and we turn on God. And we say, I don't want this. We hide from the Lord and it leads us to a place we're far from God. And so I just want to entertain this idea of what would it look like? See, now this is the, this is to me the most key verse in all of Ruth. In Ruth chapter one, verse 22, it says, so Naomi returned. Naomi returned. This word return means repent. Many people grew up in a church environment where they misunderstood the word repent. And they just go, you better repent and you better repent. No, 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 listen, listen. I will physically demonstrate what repent is. I'm walking this way. Repent, Marty. Okay. I turn around and I walk this way. And this verse says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab. They were in a place where they had no idea who this daddy they were in land. And they turned around, said, that's not working. It's interesting that the first chapter has a setting where the people were doing whatever they wanted. And it led them into a place of weakness. And the weakness circumstances started to unravel and life became hard. And then they heard God was stirring. They turn around. I got to get back to that. That's where it's good. So that's chapter one. You have have them walking away, but now you have them walking back. And the rest of the story really revolves around a redemption moment then. In Ruth chapter two, verse one, you get a little bit of an overview of what's going on. So now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. I mean, that's just, all right. Well, that was extra loud. Sorry about that. All right. But I really need to make the point. That's a good name. All right. So Boaz. All right. That's no Kilion. That's no, that's no weak or frail. Um, and, 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 and he, then the next few verses start to unpack how he shows up. He's the landowner. He, he's got this harvest going on. 
It's the barley harvest. And so he's checking in on his servants and on his workers and all the people. And he's like, hey, how's Susie? How's the kids? They going good? Yeah, all right. How's the soccer team? Yeah, all right. Wait, wait, wait. And he's walking through and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who's that? Who's that? That's Ruth. Who's Ruth? The Moabite. The Moabite? Yeah. Naomi brought her. It's her daughter-in-law. I'm like, I don't know anything about this. I'm like, you don't know anything about this? I was like, no. Well, her husband died. Yeah, I know that. And her sons, yeah. But one of her sons married Ruth. And Ruth left her own people, said, I'm with you through it all. I mean, this, and this, you, you, let me help you understand why this is a little bit mind-blowing. Uh, some Americans were asked, if you could only, if you're in a boat, you can only save one of these three. They asked this to men. Just not, I'm not condoning what the research was. I'm just relaying what was accomplished. They said, you have your mother, your wife, and your daughter in the boat. You can only save one. Which one are you picking? 60% said they're picking their daughter. 40% said their wife. To all of the mothers, <laughs> might need to have a conversation with your son. You ain't making it. What's crazy is they asked the same question to men in Saudi. And the Saudis men 100% said, our mother. Because they know their daughters can marry and start over and their wives could start over. But their mother, her whole, her whole trajectory is solely based on what her son provides. So now put this in the context. The husband's dead, the son's dead, the other son's dead. And Ruth says, I'll be the one who steps in. I'll take care of you. And where do we find Ruth? In the middle of the fields, gleaning, harvesting, taking it all in. It's mind-blowing. Boaz is like, what? And so, so he's like, come here, come here, come here, come here. He's like, you don't work in any other fields. It's not safe for you. You stick close to me. I got you. You need water? There's water over here. Then he even patted the deck a little bit. He's like, hey, pull extra, leave, leave, the, leave the side of the grain. So she's picking up all the loose ends. It was a biblical mandate that you had to walk through your fields once. You couldn't go a second time. That was for people who were poor, needy, or foreigners, and they could pick it up. So Ruth's just following through. It's crazy. He's like, you, you stay close. I'll take care of you. The next verse says this. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground, said to him, why have I found favor? Why have I found favor in your eyes? You should take notice of me. I know who I am. And he goes on, he says, Boaz answered, all that you've done for your mother-in-law? I mean, come on, your mother-in-law? Come on, your mother-in-law? Like, he, he, he knows what's up. Since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you didn't know before. Then he puts a blessing on her. There's 10 blessings in the book of Ruth. This is one of them. The Lord repay you for what you've done. A full reward be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. So she goes home. She's got all this food and stuff. And Naomi is like blown away because like, it, usually if you're coming behind, you're hoping enough to feed you for the day a little bit more. And she comes in with like buckets load. Naomi's like, whose field were you in? She's like, Boaz. <laughs> Naomi's like, I don't believe this. She says, that man is our close relative. He's one of our guardian redeemers. 
Now, I don't understand why or how all of this works, but God has in place a connection to a family in the land. And if a family got poor and sold their land, I mean, one of the rules was every 50 years, they'd get their land back no matter what. There's something about redeeming the land. So land was transferred, transferred through males. And if the male line ran out, the next closest family member would buy the land and restart the family line and then go back to his family. Kind of weird. We don't do it that way. But that's what God put in place so that a family could be cared for. And it's called the, the kinsman redeemer. The kinsman being the closest relative would redeem or buy back the land. And what Naomi says is, I don't understand. You, you stumbled on someone who could actually help our situation. And, and so this fast forward, chapter three then happens. And the months have passed. Months have passed. It's a different harvest time. And Naomi's like, all right, we got to get to action. She's now on the hook to sell her land. And she's needing Ruth to like get cozy up with Boaz. So this, is, this is weird. This is, how, this, is, this is where Naomi's mind. All right, so I want you to go to where Boaz works. After work, I know they always go out for drinks. He's going to fall asleep because that's what he does, all right? And he'll be at work. And what you need to do is you need to go to sleep by his feet and, and then pull some of the blanket on top of you. And then if he asks who you are, you tell him you need him to cover you. All right, great strategy. Love it, mother-in-law. This sounds like it's going to work great. It's pitch black. He, she lays down by him, and, and he's, he wakes up in a stupor. He's like, whoa, who is this? And he, I mean, he doesn't have the iPhone. He can't, like, you know, shine a flashlight down there. She's like, I'm Ruth. You need to cover me. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm in. So then they go back to sleep. And, I mean, they have yeah, people who come up with all kinds of different theories of what happens next. But they wake up. It's still dusk out. It's kind of got the, the mountain haze going on. Not everyone can see everybody clearly. He says, come here, come here, come here. Hold out your shirt. And she holds out her shirt and he dumps more food in. Random, weird. She goes home and Naomi's like, oh, how'd it go? And she's like, look at all this food he gave me. And she's like, oh, it's on now. He's not gonna sleep until this is taken care of today. That's chapter three. Chapter four starts and Boaz is in the city gate. The city gate is where business transactions, leaders, official documents, all that exchanges. And he sees someone who's the closer family member than he. He's number two in line. And he knows this. And he knows Bob. Bob, Bob's got dibs. Bob, Bob's in. And so he says, hey, Bob, Naomi's selling the land. He goes, he, she is. Yeah. He goes, you're, 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 you're actually first in line. He's like, okay, well, I'll do my job. I'll, I'll pay. He goes, it comes with something. He goes, oh, what's it come with? A lady. He's like, oh, I'm married. Uh, yeah, so Ruth, the Moabite, you know, the foreigner, like she's part of the deal. He's like, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not willing. No, 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 no. He goes, I got a good marriage. I'm not messing that up. And Boaz says, all right, do I have your word? He goes, yes. Do all of you here in the city gate here, Bob and I? Yes. Okay, we will now take off our shoes. And we will exchange them. You can read it in Ruth. It's so weird. Even the Bible doesn't know. It seemed to, the Bible goes as the tradition of the day, noting that like we quit doing that. Um, you know, Boaz, they trade shoes hoping for a match. 
And, uh, and then they got married. I hope you enjoyed the book of Ruth. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, that Easter egg, here it is. Last verse pretty much in the whole book of Ruth. Boaz marries Ruth and they have a baby and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The Easter egg being this, Ruth. Ruth was the great grandmother of who should be king. So what do we do with this book? A little bit of this random love story. Here, here are three ideas that I think you could take if you want to apply this book. The first is this. Never underestimate the power of repentance. Never underestimate the power of repentance where you know you and you know where you've been. And the easy thing would be to keep a secret, to keep it hidden, to not let even you admit it to the Lord that you lied about that. You're covering that up. Your anger got the best of you. Your words weren't you. And, 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 and you want to justify it. But I, I want you to don't underestimate the power of turning around. There's something beautiful that can happen when you recognize this isn't gonna, there's a rumor God's stirring over here. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if I can trust. But when you turn around, when you turn around, the New Testament has a story of a father running to their child when they came to their senses, turned around. Some of you, I'm just sensing the spirit right now. You, you could use a, a turnaround. You're looking at what the steps have led to and you're saying, I don't know if this is going to be a good idea to keep going this way. Turn around today. What's that look like? Repent, turn around. I think it starts with an inward journey where you inwardly recognize and name the place and the hardship and the actions and the heart that has shifted and moved away from God. And you say, I confess this. Just inside you confess it. You say, God, I, I'm sorry. And you watch the grace of God show up and meet you in that humble place. The proud will keep walking away. The humble will be restored and lift it up. Some of you are feeling beaten down. Let the Lord lift you back up. Come clean with him. Here's a second thought. Something that I, I, it shows up in a couple of different places in the book of Ruth is that the faithful find favor. Some of you, you're doing the right thing and you don't feel like it's fruitioning to anything that actually matters. You're, you're waiting for your breakthrough and you, you're, you're showing up. You're even, I mean, the dream team's here. Some of you, you, you you're, you're working hard. You're putting in hours and you're like, God, what is this even for? I want to tell you, stay consistent, stay faithful. I'm amazed at how many times favor shows up in the life of the faithful. It might not be in monetary or tangible resources that you might see, but it could be in the peace of your mind. Some of you, your, your, your mind is playing all these other scenarios about what, why don't they say something? Why don't they think about me? Why don't they, and I'm just telling you, this is exhausting. I'm going to be faithful, God, and he will bring peace. I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose your way. Favor, undeserved kindness of God. I need that. 
It's amazing how often it shows up when we're faithful. Here's the third one. Ruth has always been pointing to a savior, Jesus. And Jesus is the one who redeems us. In fact, if you ask most people, what's the book of Ruth about? They would say, kinsman redeemer. And what they mean is, there's this picture of what Jesus does. Now, a kinsman redeemer, here were the three things that had to be in place. They had to be of the same family. They had to be able to pay the price and they had to be willing. Naomi, Ruth, they found them in themselves in a spot. They needed someone in the same family, someone who could pay the price, and someone who's willing. And we look to Jesus. This is just a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. We're in his family. He's the firstborn child of God, the son of God. And we are children of the Lord. We're of the same clan. We are, we are, we are kin. We are family. You have to be able to pay the price. His perfect life was enough to pay. He had to be willing. So he gave up all of what heaven was to come down here on earth to redeem us, to put value back in us. I want to pray for you. If you could just bow your heads just for a minute. I wonder, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in my mind. I'm, I'm wondering if there's some of you who you have put an identity in place based off of an emotion, based off a feeling, based off of what someone else has labeled you. And I want to just to help you just kind of just surrender that back to the Lord. Maybe you, you have felt worthless. Maybe you felt small. Maybe you felt stupid. Maybe you felt ugly. Maybe you felt lonely, depressed. So you start to say that's who you are. I just pray that you would recognize that you are a child of God. You are sons and daughters of the most powerful being in all the universe. You are of extreme worth. You have tremendous beauty. You are not alone for his spirit is with us always. You are more than what you have settled on. Just in your own mind, maybe you just need to confess what you're feeling is not who you are. It's a true feeling, but it's not your identity. And Lord, I pray that the identity, the identity of Christ would start to mark us as your people. We'd see ourselves as you see us. Maybe some of you, it's a turnaround day. It's a turnaround day. For some reason, some random dude from Iowa just said one thing, the rest of it, whatever, but like one thing just said, I need, I need to turn around. I need to let today matter. I need to, I need to respond somehow, some way. I want to just, I want to, I want to pray for you. For those who need to respond, let their hearts just start to stoke a fire for you, God. Let the spirit of the Lord be their strength and their guide. I'm wondering if some of you, you heard this idea of a redeemer, this idea of Jesus, but you, you never believed in Jesus. You've believed in you. It's not working. I want to offer you a chance. There's nothing special about my prayer. Something special about your heart posture. Maybe the words I say could be words you could just mimic, but I really want you to get the heart right. This idea that I, I can't do this on my own. 
I need the help of Jesus. Maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I know I've strayed, fallen short, messed up and sinned. Sorry. Sorry. But I believe in Jesus. And somehow Jesus lived a perfect life because he loved me. Thank you for loving me. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. We can be back in relationship. Thank you, God. Thank you for that. You just maybe need to just thank the Lord. Oh, my soul, thank the Lord. I pray at the end of all my prayers, Lord, fill me with your spirit and teach me how to follow you. Maybe that's, maybe that's the most powerful prayer you could pray today. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Teach me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.